Yesterday and many times on All Things Apostolic, I talk about the news because that's one of the things that All Things Apostolic is, is news, views, and commentary. I talk about the news of what's going on in apostolic churches. And uh, not always, but many times, that news is news of progress, news of people getting saved, news of people being baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, news of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So, um, because these are initiatory things. These are people coming into the church. These people are people being born of the water and being born of the Spirit. So, oftentimes, people are afraid to ask these questions but they say, why are some churches having revival like you're talking about? And some churches are not. In fact, I would not, I would not want to be the one that does the research on how many apostolic Pentecostal churches, uh, and that is the name that they would go by. It may not be the name of their local church, but they would identify as an apostolic Pentecostal person. How many of them uh, are not having significant revival and growth as opposed to those that are having significant revival and growth? Now, these are the kind of questions that in some areas are kind of taboo and um, uh, organization itself doesn't particularly like too much in-depth discussion of this because uh, organization tries to keep everybody feeling like it's kind of an equal deal and the organization is kind of the primary uh, a focus here, not on how the local church is doing. I don't mean that that's some sinister thing. I just mean that that's kind of the way it is. And so, and there is a leveling effect on a local uh, church or or on even an individual, if you're talking about uh, secular government, there's kind of a leveling effect when you're looking at it from um, a political view or you're looking at it from the organizational or the governmental view. Uh, and the main thing they want is people to be happy enough not to cause trouble, and they want there to be good things happening. In Rome, for example, they used to put all these big deals on in the Colosseums where people could come free and they had free food when they got there. And this is kind of the way Rome placated the, uh, the unrest that would be found amongst them. And I think our government does that sometimes also. And I think in a way we kind of do that sometimes in that we do not confront the very question that I am talking about today. Why are some churches having apostolic revival and why are some churches not having apostolic revival? And by that I mean why aren't they growing? Why aren't people receiving the Holy Ghost? Why aren't people being born again and, and their lives being changed? So when I, uh, I don't have to look very far across the landscape of even churches that I know and have known for years across America to see that the percentage of churches that are having real apostolic revival as opposed to those who are not 
is probably it's much smaller of those that are than those that are not, at least in many places. And that would be easy to document because we keep records approximately of how many people are coming to church and you could see where they are today and where they were 40 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or one year ago. And you, when you look at all of this and you ponder this, uh, these churches that are not growing are, I mean, I would say overwhelmingly pastored by good men. They are pastored by men that love God. They are pastored by men that feel called of God. And I believe in most every case, not probably, there's probably exceptions, but in most cases they are called of God. And uh, they are people who uh, would like to have revival, but they don't. And, and I could name church after church after church. And I don't say this with anger. I say it with great uh, sadness and uh, empathy. And well, there's a little anger at the devil, but not at the people. And, and there's, there's good people in these churches. They just don't know what to do. So why is that? What is it about a church that's having revival as to those that are not? Well, I'd propose to you that these are resolvable issues. They're not resolvable in ignorance. They're not resolvable in being satisfied to what I call negotiate a kind of tacit truce between the pastor and the local church and the forces of evil that control spiritual strongholds in that city. And the tacit truce, tacit means unspoken. The unspoken truce, not truth, but truce, T-R-U-C-E, truce. The, the, the unspoken agreement is uh, if you'll just kind of leave us alone and let us continue to survive here, we, we're not going to make a big thrust to tear your kingdom down. And so days pass, years pass, decades pass, and the church stays in the same position. Or it even grows smaller. I could tell you scores of churches that are smaller today than they were. 40 years ago, 20 years ago, even 15, and in some cases, 10 years ago. They are smaller than they were. Now, to me, this is horrifying. To me, this is like not the way it ought to be. And so in my personal life, when I think about that and when I've thought about that for now decades, it is... I, I, that, I, I'm not going to let that happen by the grace of God. I am going to figure out what it is that the apostolic church had. When I say figure out, I don't mean you can sit down with a piece of paper and figure it out. You have to figure it out in intercessory prayer. And there has to be a passion. Oh, I would like to say something that would make you know how deeply we feel this. There has to be a passion within you that resents and refuses to accept the present status quo. It has to be in you. If you're the leader, you have to say, I am not accepting this status quo. I don't know how I'm going to change it. And you may be in a great big city that looks like a monolithic impossibility to ever crack open. 
Um, and so and so that can be overwhelming. There's all kinds of dark forces that appear to be impossible to overcome, but they're not impossible. They are not impossible. And they are, they're intractable. They don't want to move. They don't want to be defeated. Uh, I personally believe that these spiritual forces have reigned over cities in some cases, not only for centuries, but for millenniums before the cities were ever there. And, uh, and so um, to, to break that, when we come along, and we're just in this little span of time from our birth up until when we start preaching a few years, 20 years, 25 years, whatever it is. And, uh, and then we have a short span of ministry. So can we in a short span of ministry, by short span of whatever, 45, 50 years, in a short span of ministry, can a single, I don't mean unmarried, but I mean can a, a single individual along with a small group of people, can they walk into that centuries or even millenniums old, uh, towering stronghold and face that and say, we're going to tear this down and have apostolic revival in this town. Now, when I talk about tearing down strongholds, I do not mean that everybody in that city is going to become apostolic Pentecostal. What I mean by that is, is that when people in that city seek deliverance, when they seek escape from the power of those beings in the stronghold, to use Paul's language and Bible language repeatedly, principalities, powers, those spiritual wickedness in high places, all of these things that exist in the spirit world, which we need to talk about sometime. We need to talk about that. All of those things that have been there that long, they don't want to move. But you have to believe what the Bible says when Jesus says, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. So before you ever get to the question of how do I pray people through to the Holy Ghost, or how do you have as we mentioned yesterday, uh, 82 in the last two weeks received the Holy Ghost in, in, in our local church. Uh, 61 people received the Holy Ghost last Sunday. Now, let me tell you, when I say there were 62, when I say there was 62 people received the Holy Ghost, I don't mean that an evangelist went around and patted people on the head and were not watching, and so he claims that they received the Holy Ghost. Now, I hear that there are places where, where people actually do that. But that's not how this happened. The way this happened is, is the evangelist got the people in the church that had a compassion for the people that needed the Holy Ghost. They're the ones that prayed them through to the Holy Ghost. And the evangelist instructed them, when they received the Holy Ghost, and you know they received the Holy Ghost, lift your hands so I can see it, and we will count them and see how many received the Holy Ghost. And so... I don't know about every church, but in the Rock Church, people know whether people receive the Holy Ghost or not. They're well-versed in nobody says somebody receives the Holy Ghost unless they've received the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues very decisively. And so this is, this is, this is a real move of God. So before we ever get to talking about that, though, how, where do we start on this? Well, it starts with you making up your mind that God, I am not going to go one more step 
like this. We are going to have revival in this city or else. And the or else is, is that you were not going to accept anything less. Okay, so it doesn't start out here somewhere, or it doesn't start with getting evangelists to give you some techniques of how people receive the Holy Ghost. No, no. It starts in the heart of whoever God called to that city. And that heart says, I will not accept status quo. And so, like I said, when I talk about breaking a city, I'm not talking about everybody getting saved, but I am talking about everybody that wants to get saved. They know where, they find where to go. There's a place in that city that has taken spiritual dominance for those that are hungry for truth. And they come to that place to receive a blessing of salvation in their life. And so, for example, Sunday, there was a woman who, who uh, a very uh, nice-looking woman who has a child who goes to a Christian school that's very close to our church. It's not our Christian school, but they they go to. She takes her child to that school. Never been in our church before. She said, she said, I've been looking. She told the usher when she come in, I've been looking at this church when I bring my child to school, and she said I felt like at some point I needed to go to church here. First time she ever came, and she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in wonderful and dramatic fashion. Another couple, a man and a woman, husband and wife, drove by, drove into the parking lot a week ago and said to them, to each other, I feel like we need to go to this church. They came Sunday, first time they ever been there. Both of them received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and both of them were baptized in Jesus' name. I know she received the Holy Ghost. I think he received the Holy Ghost. So I'm just saying it's the place. There's even been so-called Trinitarian Pentecostal churches where people have went there and said, I'd like to receive the Holy Ghost. And they said, well, if you want to receive the Holy Ghost, go down seven miles down this street to the Rock Church, and they'll help you to receive the Holy Ghost. So how do I get this to work? How do I get this to work? I mean, do you want revival? Would you like for there to be revival? Or do you have voices of brothers that, and sisters and brethren in the work of God all around you that are dissing and saying, don't listen to him. He doesn't know. He, he's this. He's that. Because there's always voices that marginalize. I mean, when we would kill, as human beings, when we would kill Jesus Christ, who was perfect, and while there is the height of insolence of Pharisees that have the, that the, I mean, it's nauseous to even think about that they are arguing with him as though their mind means anything compared to the one that created the heavens and the world. So, so if Christ put up with this kind of stuff, then you're going to have to put up with some of it. And we have to put up with some of it. And so when I'm talking like this, there's people says, nah, well, you know, he's this or they're, they're that or that. You got to get past that. If you want to listen to those voices, you can listen to them. That doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you. But I'm just telling you, you're never going to have what we're talking about if you listen to those voices. You have to break that hold. That in itself is a spiritual stronghold that holds people back. My time's up. We'll talk about this again in the future.